Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 16. Today we're going to talk about crafts and the role of crafting in education. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. The best way to stay current with what we're doing at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School is to join our email newsletter. You can do that at jmbnews.com. Hello and welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 16. It's been a while since we recorded one of these, but I'm fortunate today to be sitting down with my good friend and colleague Christopher Russell, and we're going to talk a little bit about crafts, crafting, and the role of making things with your hands from the natural world in education. So how are we doing today, Christopher? Doing pretty good. Uh, just kind of settling into New Hampshire and meeting some cool people and no complaints. So Christopher is going to be taking the helm of our School of the Forest, which is our kids program. We're going to do a big reboot of that that you'll hear more about uh, in the coming months, but that's going to take place here in 2017. Anyway, um, <coughs> some of you who are longtime listeners know that we have seven elements to our programs at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. And those seven are skill, journey, craft, nature, culture, sustainability, and self. So today we're going to dial in on number three, which is craft. Um, and I like to think of crafting as making useful things that you need uh, from the natural world around you. Getting your raw materials from, from the forest, from the fields, and making something that you're going to actually use. Um, we can also look at it from the perspective of exploring the world with our hands. Um, you know, being able to get uh, some useful understanding about different materials and how they go together and then ultimately creating something that you can actually use uh, yep. so um i've heard people sort of poo poo the whole crafting thing you know this, this this is not my first rodeo but people are like oh you know this is arts and crafts time as if we're sitting down to try to make like a chintzy crappy leather wallet or something that has no real use but it's just like let's kill time by by making a few things and to be honest it's always bugged me and it still bugs me um you know if if that's your mindset then you probably shouldn't come and spend any time with us just because that's just not how things work you know we do a lot of pack baskets and, and other baskets and I don't know how many times I've heard the joke oh did you did you major in basket making in college and I always do like a fake laugh and then I'll say, all right, smart guy, let's go ma- actually make a basket. And then when they quit in frustration because they can't mm-hmm. do it, um, you know, he who laughs last laughs best. <laughs> so, you know, it's not something that super is easy. And, you know, there are lots of people out there. I've seen pack baskets and such that have sold for a couple of thousand dollars, you know, made by the artists and rock stars of right. the field. The ones that we make are functional, but, but you know, functional mm-hmm. and practical, but, but not, uh, you know, not overly uh, beautiful, if you will. Sometimes yeah, they are, sometimes they aren't. So that's uh, a thing that they talked about in this book that you gave me by Otto, just, yeah. by, uh, Otto Solomon. Um, and he talks about how when you're teaching craft to kids, not to let them do embellishing 
until like the very end and even sometimes not at all because the, the focus is on making something that does what it needs to do not weaving in flowers and stuff like that and he he kind of seemed like a little bit of a stick in the mud if you ever met him but he had a really a really interesting approach to teaching this stuff and we follow that as well um there, I mean, there's a definitely a progression and a philosophy to towards right. making things, right? And yep. um, so, for example, I always like people to do the most difficult uh, maneuvers on the craft that are most likely to ruin it and have it end up in the kindling pile. Do those first, you know, instead of carving your name and an effigy of a fish or a, like a Mexican a fighting chicken or a raven <laughs> into something, and spending six hours on yeah. that, and then when you go to actually to finish the piece yeah. and it breaks and you know what's the point right. so yes we, we always have people save all of the embellishments till the end or, yeah. or i should say save all the embellishments for the stories that you tell about making the craft because right, i of... <laughs> yeah no it's uh it's because i was i was a big offender of it with the first, with canoe pedal project i focused so much on getting that stupid raven carved on the head of it that that paddle was way heavier than it ever needed. I could have done so much more work on it, but I just got it basically fleshed out and was like, that's it, it's done. Now I'm gonna do fancy stuff. And it, that first canoe trip was hard and it's nobody's fault but my own, but there's something to be said about just leaving all that little stuff till you've actually got it down. Yeah, function first and, exactly. and then and then dress it up at the end, if, yeah. if at all. Yeah. Right. I personally think there's a, a, a bit of beauty in Absolutely. Something that's super simple, right? There's no, there's nothing extra mm -hmm. on it. It's everything extra is eliminated. Right. And you think about if you're having to carry that weight, you know, if you're own, yep. if you are your own beast of burden, then all of those special little things that, that make it look attractive right. to you that are just extra weight, extra stuff, yep. um, you know, we'll, we'll often, we'll often leave that stuff out. Mm -hmm. um, one of the important things I like to think of when it comes to crafting is something called the ease of superficial likeness. And the point here is that it's it's not difficult to make something that looks like, for example, a, uh, a soft frame. And I love soft frames as a craft because if you don't pay really close attention to the details, they jump apart on <laughs> you like, like, a, like a Chinese rat trap or something. <laughs> so the ease of superficial likeness states that it's super simple to make something that looks mm -hmm. superficially like what you're trying to make. Right. The devil is, as with most things, in the details. Mm -hmm. So the only way that we can tell if we've made something useful, for example, using the case of a soft frame, is to go out and do it. You know, with a soft frame, will it cut wood without coming apart on you? Um, and there's lots of, you know, with, with every craft, we'll always throw out that ease of superficial likeness. For example, if we're making a burn bowl and you and you don't pay attention and you burn a hole in the bottom, it won't hold water, right? Well, if you look at it from a certain angle and can't see the hole, it probably looks like a bowl, but right. the reality is that you made a really crappy strainer or something like that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that something good to keep in mind is that, <laughs> really crappy that ease of superficial likeness. Um, and, you know, on all courses, uh, programs, regardless of the age group, mm -hmm. you know, we don't live in a culture where people working with their hands is really valued anymore. So regardless of the age group, we'll usually start off with things that are very simple. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't take a lot of good hand-eye coordination. Um, and then we build up, you know, as we progress through the different crafts and building and making things, we progress and they get ultimately much more complex. Yeah. Um, and one of the problems is, especially with older 
uh, people, you know, adults learning this for the first time. They've seen pictures and videos, and they want to jump straight to mm-hmm. let's make the 36-foot birch bark canoe slash spaceship, you know, before they've put in the time making all the little things. And, and right. everything's a progression. It all builds on what comes before it. So, you know, until you can carve, um, you know, a really good uh, feather stick, stick or something. Yeah, yeah until Pretty you much, can yeah. do what you need there. You know, the, the more um, exotic, the more advanced, the more complex projects, really, like you won't learn anything from them and it'll just be an exercise in frustration. Right. <coughs> it's funny, it's a kind of, because that's essentially the process that he laid out in the book that you gave me to read. Um, but he... But well, he also had this... Well, just the name of the book. Um, it's called... Hang on one second. This was a book I found on the Amazon store from like 1890s. Yeah, it's, it's a translation of a guy who would who was a crafting teacher in yeah. the Swedish school system. And it, it, I blew through it in a night. It was so fascinating. But uh, it's called The Teacher's Handbook of Sloyd and is practiced and taught at NOS, which I'm guessing was his school. Or um, is that, isn't that the rapper that got in the big beef with uh, Jay-Z? Ah, not when it's spelled with two A's with umlauts. Got it, got it. Um, we'll put the I'll put a link to that yeah. book in the uh, in the show notes here. Yeah, but he talks about um, the necessity of you know it being a slow building process to for because he specifically focuses on woodworking and he talks about the need of understanding the each little little practice as it goes up and then eventually you're making big things. But he also has this interesting point about. Only letting a person try and fail something three times before you let them move on to something else and then come back to it later. And I just have never, I have a tendency to beat my head against something until it works. But there's something to be said, I think, for that whole, you know, try it three times. And if you can't get it, go and do something else that lets your brain work in a different way and then come back to it again. And, you know, he was talking about when he d- did that without, almost without fail when the person came back to that project doing something else kind of relieved whatever buildup was in their head and they just got it. So I love that approach. Yeah. We use that on our mm-hmm. long courses and it's sort of a, it's demonstrative of the whole idea that you teach people, you don't teach skills. Right. And that, you know, if, if we have five people and we're working on different projects, you know, as the instructor, you have to sort of have a handle on where they're at skill wise, right. what their frustration level and motivation levels are and say if there's something that somebody just is there, like you said, they're hitting a brick wall and yeah. they can't seem to do it. That's a great time to move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come back to it later. The downside is when it's something like where there's a, a time limit, like yeah. say you're, you're brain tanning a deer hide or something. And, and you know Shit. that if you, you quit and take a break here, like you're going to basically start all over. Eesh. So that's, yeah. that's a challenge. Yep. Um, anyway, one of the most amazing things that happens during a long course and, and crafting has a huge impact on it, is watching people go through this kind of mental paradigm shift. Meaning, let's say if it's our nine-week semester course, it's day one and people are kind of hemming and hawing around and checking out the gear that the other guy has. And, and you know, the you know we're, that's a pretty cool thing. Where did you buy that? And people will talk mm-hmm. about where they purchase things. And, you know, in America, it's weird, but we have this people get prideful about their ability to be a good, good shopper. You know, I, I don't understand why. Like, oh, I, I found deals. this. Yeah, getting, getting deals. deals. Uh, but anyway, so that's maybe what it's like at the beginning. But after a, a, a good course of that includes a lot of crafting yeah. and things, 
by about the middle of the course, you start to hear the discussions change. When someone sees what someone else has, they say, that's really cool. How did you make it? Yeah, well, you, I mean, it, I can I completely attest to that from the course. Was we had the you know, first day, everybody, everybody's setting up their tents, and everybody's talking about your tents and why you picked this one and all this stuff. And then the last day, or the last week or so, the Jeremy got really into that bone fish hook stuff. And that was that was all anybody of us talked about for a whole day was Jeremy's fish hooks that no one knew he was working on. He just showed up with them done, and they were they were awesome. They were so good, and that that was that was really interesting to see how much work he put into that, and how much more it meant than you know the tent that he was sleeping in or anything like that. There's an old saying that. Uh, cheaply won is cheaply held. Mm -hmm. Meaning if I go down to Walmart and I buy, I don't know, let's say a two-foot ice fishing rod. That's a kind of a crappy analogy, but I'm trying to think of anything good I could get at Walmart, right? But anyway, if I go out and I get it and it, it doesn't cost me much money and I didn't have to work hard for it and it just like kind of fell in my lap like piece cheap pieces yep. of plastic crap that I would get at big box stores, I'm not going to value that. Right. But... If you put in your time on something, you know, for example, Jeremy with the bone fish yeah. hooks, you put in your time on it, you've invested a lot of yourself, you know, energy, time to, to make it, to do it. Right. You're going to hold that thing in high regard. Especially if it actually works. Especially in if it experience, actually works. my experience, especially if it actually works. So I always like to, you know, to go back to that uh, fishing, reminding me of a story of ease of superficial likeness. You know, we do here in New Hampshire, the suckers run out of the lake every mm -hmm. April, and it's the only fish that we can legally spear or shoot with a bow here in New Hampshire. <coughs> so every year we'll go down, and, and it's always fun to make fish spears and then go and use the fish spears. And I remember once, I was a young guy, I was in my mid-20s, and this guy showed me this fish spear that he'd been carving for like 25 days, right? And it had all the prongs, and all the prongs mm -hmm. had these little barbs carved into them. And, Yeesh. you know, he, and he was basically, he saw a picture in a book, and he was sort of copying mm -hmm. it. And the idea that, that I want to put forth here is that, you know, he went out and tried to use it once. He, it deflected off the fish, hit a rock, and everything broke. Yeah. So no matter how good something looks until you go out and use it yeah, you have no idea if it's going to work being able to combine theory and practicality i think is a big part of the stuff that we do you know it's one thing to go and watch 800 youtube videos and but it's another thing to have to actually do what it is that you're talking about or make what it is that you're talking about and have it be a practical tool that you can use over and over right and yeah. just just to wrap up the fish spear story like we'll build <laughs> the fish spears here like, I can make one in about, if I find the right stick, I can make one in about four minutes. Mm -hmm. And I know that it works because I've caught fish with it. You know, like, the, right. I think that's the difference, that, you know, that whole idea of experiential mm -hmm. education. You know it works because you've done it before. It's, right. it's not that, you're not dealing in hypothetical situations. And I think so much of bushcraft, survival, and whatnot today is, is dealing in hypothetical situations. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I like to pose the question, what if there were no hypothetical situations? Oh God! <laughs> I, I have to. We have to pause this podcast. I have to go have an existential crisis for about five minutes, and then we can come back. Right on. <laughs> uh, no, but you know, I'm really, truly of the belief that that making stuff it just really does make you more self reliant, mm -hmm. even if it's the littlest thing, right? If maybe you 
Uh, last trip I was on, somebody broke a button on their shirt. So they carved a little button out of wood and sewed it onto their That's shirt. That's awesome. And it worked great. Yeah. You know, instead of bitching and complaining about, oh, the button broke and waiting to get back so they could get a plastic button from somewhere else and basically being a totally non-self-reliant member of the nanny state that needs their hand held to do just mm-hmm. about anything, they said, no, I'm going to be a producer, not a consumer. Exactly. Fixed it themselves with the materials they had at hand and it worked. Right. And that's the, I mean, the ultimate goal in teaching crafting as part of, say, a bushcraft or outdoor living or just educational program, it's not to have people become the world's greatest craftsmen, right? right? If, if that's their calling, they'll be drawn to that and they'll do it anyway, regardless of, of what, the, the, what happens on the course. The point of the exercise on the course is to make them more self-reliant, to open up that part of their brain. And, and he had yeah. a really good quote in there about that didn't he Uh, yeah uh... um he talks about it was was in response to someone talking about um because his approach is exactly what you said where it's um it's not like a trade school it's just something that's part of the basic education of everybody that comes in of it of what it means to be like a human being exactly and um uh he was a lot so a lot of people compared it to one of his counterparts that made it strictly a trade school and his response was that uh, doing things like this makes you a more well-rounded individual and instills, and I'm, this is where I'm going to quote it, pleasure in bodily labor and respect for it, habits of independence, order, accuracy, attention, and industry, increase of physical strength, development of the power of observation in the eye, and the execution in the hand. And I think that... Amen! Yeah, right? <laughs> and the, the other interesting side to that, was, which kind of plays into what you were talking about, where... You're, you're creating self-reliance and independence in these person, people is that in his approach to teaching, he, he really made it clear that no instructor should ever touch a student's work um, because you don't want to do something for them and take away what they might have learned trying to do it themselves. And I, I've never heard that before. I've had so many classes you know, with art and stuff like that where – if I would get frustrated with it, a teacher would come over and show me how to do it with my hands. Whereas he would just kind of, he kind of just said, you know, you explain to them what they need to do and let them do it. And they're going to learn a lot better that way than if you just do it for them or draw them a picture. I'd go so far as to say they won't learn if you do right. it for them. Yeah. And I think it's a, you know, it has a lot to do with what's the outcome that you're trying to achieve. For example, I have an old blog post I wrote probably 10 years ago, and it was about the, the process of learning bow making how to make Mm -hmm. archery bows and the idea was that you know if the instructor is constantly tinkering with the student's bow stave constantly doing this saying oh here's how you do this and just do it just like this at the end of that process the student thinks man that instructor is really talented yep but if the instructor does it the other way where they're hands off they'll show you take a piece of scrap wood and do Mm -hmm. a little demo but they're not going to touch the piece that the student's working on at the end of that process, the student thinks, geez, I'm really capable and I can right. do this because look what I just did. And that's, yeah. Those two things are polar opposites. The yeah, outcomes absolutely. are completely opposite. <laughs> but he, and he also talks a lot about um, one of the, the benefits of teaching in the way that he does is by the end of it, it's not only that they know how to do it. They also have the ability to, um, to look critically at their own work, which is not something – a lot of people today know how to do in you know not just in crafting but in just life in general it's it's really hard to be your own honest critic um in both respects and to say i made something really good or this is bad i should start over 
and a lot of times people don't know how to do that. And I just, it just really struck me that that was part of his goal in teaching was to create people that can be self-policing in a lot of stuff. Yeah. It was just never a point that it jumped out at me until I read it. So one of the goals that we have on our long programs with crafting is, uh, well, twofold. Number one, at the end of the process that students could leave the course and go home or go wherever and replicate what they did there. So the, the methodology behind that is that we don't have, it, I mean, a lot of the projects would be easier if we had a $70,000 fully outfitted wood shop with every imaginable power mm -hmm. tool. But the problem is if you learn how to make a bow, uh, like a, a long bow, in a, in a wood shop with band saws and all the fancy tools, then when you go home, in your mind, you're thinking, man, I'd like to make another bow, but i got to save up the 70K for the wood, right. wood shop materials. So when you learn how to do it using very simple tools mm -hmm. and very simple methods, then it, it takes you longer. Yep. The process is slower, but it's much more easy to replicate in any given environment. I think when you say that, though, <laughs> I think you need to put a little, like, you know, a little, uh, like, reminder that, just because you can replicate it doesn't mean you shouldn't should because sitting in Baltimore making a longbow did not go over well with a lot of people. <laughs> I just got to say. And the other thing that I think it's glossed over a lot with with crafting is, you know, what what are the skills that are actually being learned? So say, for example, we're, we're on it. Let's stick with the, the longbow uh, sure. analogy is that by the time we've finished making one, we've learned something useful about trees and wood mm -hmm. and wood grain and how to select a proper stave and selecting the raw materials for any primitive craft or skill is probably at least 80% yeah, of absolutely. the 80% of the battle. You've also learned something about hand tools, how they work, how to keep them sharp, how to use them optimally. You've learned how yep. to hold materials when you don't say have fancy vices and things. You've learned something useful about how to, how to replicate that in the field um, you know, you've learned a little bit about the uh, muscle fatigue that goes into certain um, yeah. certain movements that you're going to do over and over again, and you learn about you know how well suited you are physically for certain tasks at the at the uh, fitness level that you're yeah. currently at. Um, definitely, we learn about patience, you know, because in our modern world, when we have to do something that takes a long time, we're not used to that. We're used to flipping the switch and having it go. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll get a little bit off the uh off the script here and i'll say you learned something about love as well that if you put you put a week into a project absolutely. right cheaply one is cheaply held absolutely you put a week into that at the end of that you care about it's not just a it's not just a, a bit of wood fiber right. carved into a certain thing anymore that's when you look at it you remember all the hours that you put in you remember the bugs mm -hmm. biting you and the blisters and sharpening those tools that's and the truth you can't take that away from people so no. that's i mean you really do it sounds a little out there. No, 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 you no, no. Something about love. I'll say that about. I've said it for years about brain tanning, and I, for people who are new to it and they're going to tan a hide, I'm like this. This ratty, bloody, hairy deer skin uh -huh. here is going to teach you just about everything you need to know about love. Yeah, but I got to say though, if you want somebody to learn about love, doing those projects, it's got to be longer than a week because I put a lot of love into relationships in a week. They never really worked out. You can't learn a lot about another person in a week. Well, I'm, talk I'm talking about I know. inanimate objects. Uh, well, see, that's, there's, there's the rub. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, the, to continue on with what you were saying about the – because like what you just said is a really broad amount of things that you learn. And it's um, 
I think that having that broad knowledge makes you uh, just a better critical thinker in general. Um, and you, you, you kind of gain a lot of practical problem solving ability through having that wide range of abilities because you know, you understand simple processes about a lot of different stuff. And it means that when you come up at a problem you've never experienced before, you have a lot of experience to put into that. And I think that that's really important. Um, Cause like you said, we, we would go on these long courses and you start out with a bunch of people that don't know how to do any of this stuff. And by the end of it, Jeremy, to go back to the fish hooks, had enough broad knowledge, because we never carved fish hooks or did anything with bone carving while we were there. By the end of it, he had enough practical knowledge in wood carving, um, finding the right piece of material and all this stuff to just go and make a serviceable fish hook out of, you know, out of bone that somebody found like it just that it was that, that old moose bone right was yeah it was, was from the, the boneyard that we had found but yeah and they and they worked out really well um and i know he's continuing to make more and more of them like it's just a thing that you never taught but that with the things that you did teach he saw something else that interested him and had the knowledge base to go out and just do it and that's awesome that yeah i think the is, educational term for that is transference when you can learn something in one realm and apply it in another realm mm -hmm. and as an instructor as an educator when you see that happening that's warm yeah. and fuzzy to <laughs> that's like that also my work here is done <laughs> but uh you know it, and it, it it's always a slippery slope it'd be easy to take credit for that but it's no right. you know it's always the it's what the students are bringing mm -hmm. to the game you know it's never about the instructor it's right. always about that you know where they're at and and you know like with most things, a, a good a good teacher, a good instructor, they're not going to say at the end of this course you're going to be awesome at it. They're going to say hopefully you're at least a few steps further than hopefully where you, you started. haven't cut your thumb off. Well, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, but too, I guess we left that part out of what you learn and uh, yeah, not to cut your thumb off. <laughs> but humans are big sacks full of blood. And <laughs> rip a hole in the skin. There's blood everywhere. But yeah. We That'd be a good that uh, a good subtitle for a crafting course would be like Blood on the Gravel or something. Every time we record a podcast, we come up with a good name for a course. <laughs> like last time it was what, Lord of the Black Flies? I love that. Yeah, just every time we need a name for a course, we have to report a, record a podcast. It's, Perfect. It's a ritual now. Yeah, so that's kind of what, you know, we just wanted to talk a little bit about the, the idea behind crafts and the philosophy mm -hmm. of crafts. Um, one of my favorite articles was... Uh, written in a book on free lift sleeve which is the uh scandinavian concept of open air life mm -hmm. uh by zabby mckeckern um i think i pronounced her name right i've met her numerous times at the snowwalkers rendezvous great lady um and this was the book uh nature first edited by bob henderson mm -hmm. awesome book and i'll put a link to that as well but yeah she has a whole article or a whole chapter i should say on craft making and just super mm -hmm. eye-opening and you know for for anybody who uh, has to deal with people who are stuck in that, oh, what is this, arts and crafts time? Like, highly recommend uh, getting your hands on a couple of these books um, just because it'll arm you well to to deal with those right. knuckleheads. And, you know, the best way to deal with them, again, is to say, okay, smart guy, let's go actually make and do something. Mm -hmm. And when they realize that they're, they can't do it, they usually get really frustrated and leave. And yep. then you'll be met with, I can do it if I wanted to, but I don't even want to right now or some other uh quitter analogy yeah and at that point you just make <laughs> eye contact with them and slowly disassemble their leftover basket for parts <laughs> but never break eye contact that's the key one and and 
you must have squinty eyes. Exactly, the guide squinty eyes. Squinty eyes. <laughs> cool. Well, that uh, I don't really have anything no, else. We kind of covered most of it. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Thank you for listening, and yep. we hope to come back at you again before too long. So, uh, Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, Episode Sixteen, the end. Mm-hmm.